Hey friends, thanks so much for joining us. This is Unlock You with Dr. Shannon Crawford. I'm a clinical psychologist, leadership consultant, and a really big fan of you getting to fulfill your life purpose. I want you to get unstuck and unlock your potential relationally, emotionally, spiritually, and vocationally. Thanks for joining us and let's get started. Welcome to Unlock You with Dr. Shannon Crawford. And I am completely fangirling because I have followed Will and de Havilland Ford since 2000. When I was an undergrad at APU LA, I lived at a homeless shelter on purpose. And that was a part of a season of just falling in love with revival and the keys of revival, especially racial reconciliation. So they have had a huge imprint on my life. I've followed them. Um, and so it's, an, it's like, pinch me right now. That's how I feel to have De Havilland Ford, who I have really, really a lot of respect for and the life that she's led to say yes to the Lord one step at a time. So thank you for being our guest today. Well, Dr. Shannon, it's such an honor to be with you. The feeling is mutual. I've heard so many incredible things just from different relationships, people that we're in covenant with uh, just about you. And so I am honored to be on here today. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. It's so exciting. So for those who may not know you, what is, well, maybe just share about 818 and just the ministry in general and kind of familiarize our audience. Yeah, so 818 is a ministry that my, my husband that we both lead together. Mm -hmm. uh, it got started in 2010. Uh, through just the, you know, God has such an incredible sense of humor. Uh, in 2010, the Lord began to show me uh, this number, 818. I would see it on license plates. I would see it on clocks. I would, when I would get up to preach, my alarm would go off at 818, though I never set my alarm. And I, I finally started to say, hey, is there something, God, you're trying to speak to me through this number? And just through a series of uh, divine encounters, the Lord led me uh, to the scripture verse, Isaiah 818, that says, I and the children are for signs and wonders, and how God wanted to raise up a movement in America where uh, we would see the injustice of abortion, uh, which because the child is the sign. And if you kill the child, you cut off God's voice to a generation and how God was going to raise up our children uh, in this generation as signs and wonders. So we started hosting these 818 gatherings with Dr. Alveda King, Martin Luther King's niece, wow. and several leaders from around the country praying for the signs, the children to be raised up, but also uh, not just uh, uh, children, but that God would restore the hearts of the mothers back to their children wow. and uh, see the curse broken off the land. So 818 uh, has many faces, but at its core, it started with praying for the ending of abortion in America. Awesome. And then I think there's a movie in works. Is that right? Yes. Well, that is separate. Oh, My yeah. husband, Will Ford, um, has... Um, he leads a ministry called the dream King, which is his story of the kettle. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, I am. Uh, where, your audience is. Well, he has this 200 year old cast iron kettle pot that his slave forefathers used secretly uh, during the day they would cook in it, but at night they would secretly use it. They would take it into a barn and they would uh, prop it up with rocks and prostrate themselves between the opening of the kettle and they would pray 
inside this large cast iron bowl for the ending of slavery. Well, of course, we know slavery comes to an end and this kettle was passed down several generations. And my husband uh, inherited this kettle in 2005. And he's been carrying around the country talking about the power of intercession and how God will make a way for this generation. So his story is actually being turned into a, a, a film. I'm so excited. I cannot wait to see it. You guys are like, every time I hear about you, you're doing another project. So how do you do that personally? Did you just come out of the womb as a dreamer and visionary? Like, what did that look like for you, for our audience? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. I am the least likely candidate. It's amazing. Every day I pinch myself that God could take a broken person uh, and redeem my life. I did not grow up. I did not. I didn't come out of the womb speaking in tongues. Um, I was not churched. Uh, I actually was really far away from Jesus uh, until the age of 17 when I met the Lord as a teenager. Uh, God rescued me when I was not looking for him. Wow. And so I've heard you speak in your mentor group about maybe something you've called an orphan wound, which I'm familiar with, but maybe some of our audience isn't. How would somebody know if they might be experiencing that? Well, that's a good question. You know, um, when I before I came to know the Lord, I didn't grow up with both my parents. I was actually adopted. And uh, my adopted, uh, I was born Angela Cornish. That was the name that my mother gave me. And then at the age of three, I was sent into the foster care system and I had my name changed to, um, to De Havilland. And it, when, I gave, when I gave my life to the Lord, I thought, okay, I'm just going to get saved and I'm just going to feel the spirit of adoption now because I'm a believer in Christ and I'm just so loved. But when I gave my life to Christ, I found out really quick that I still had something called an orphan wound mm -hmm. where I never felt that I was actually loved by my father in heaven because of some of the trauma in the past of my childhood. Mm -hmm. So I would operate out of a spirit of rejection, meaning you can walk into a room and never feel like you actually have a place in that room. And uh, no matter, no matter who would speak to me about, Oh, you're loved of God. You have purpose. It wasn't something that was registering in my heart. So I would operate from an orphan heart. Uh, never taking my place in the kingdom of God, because I didn't know if I actually belong there. Wow. And I can just resonate so much for myself and many people I work with. I think a lot of our audience that we may not have language for what you're describing, but just this perpetual feeling of not really belonging, not being wanted, kind of on the outside looking in. I think that's so common. And so I love that you're brave enough to share your story and that journey of walking from just kind of feeling orphaned emotionally. Now that also can apply to people who have biological parents in the home. It's not specific to people who literally are adopted. Um, but how do you think people might develop an orphan wound if it wasn't adoption, if there's other ways that they can be as well? Oh, yeah, it just, you know, the enemy is an equal, he's, he's, he looks for opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so um, he speaks through, you know, what our own minds, he uses our own thoughts against us, other peers, relationships, you know, um, it sometimes it's bullying in school, you know, an orphan heart can happen in so many ways, not just you can have a parent or one parent household, it really just he, he'll get in any way he can to make you feel like you don't have a place. 
at the table. And even in the church world, we see it. Someone can grow up as a believer and never really feel like they have a place. And so I don't want to limit it to just, oh, whether you have parents or not. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just that at the core, the enemy loves to bring a spirit of rejection in our lives. Absolutely. And for instance, I have clients that some just because their parents worked a lot. It doesn't mean they had bad parents. It's just people who are preoccupied and the enemy just whispers in the heart of that child. The reason they're gone is because you're not worthy or you don't belong or you're not important enough or you're not a priority or some people that their parents just kind of watch TV or zone out and just don't engage. They don't get on the floor and play. And I had a client not too long ago who said, oh, I don't have childhood trauma. And I was like, the neglect of emotionally engaging with you as a person actually can sometimes do more damage than an actual like physical bruise. Because the way that we attach and bond is through the mirror neurons of watching you delight in me gives me personhood. It gives me a sense of self. So if people are staring at a TV or a laptop or a phone and they're looking away that in the implied message to the soul of that child is I must not be captivating male or female. I must not be important and enough to draw your attention. And so these feelings of unworthiness and heaviness and dread of, I don't really belong. I'm not important. And there's all this shame attached to it because kids are egocentric. And so when I'm egocentric, that just means that I only see the world from my point of view. I don't get the understanding that my parents had their own trauma or they're burnt out from working multiple jobs and they don't have any capacity. I just feel like the core belief that the enemy told me is they're doing that because I don't belong. I'm rejected. I'm unwanted. I'm not good enough. And what do you think on the inside happens once I start feeling not good enough? What do you you think might be some of the ways we try to protect ourselves? Oh yeah, you know, we we put up walls. We don't allow other we don't allow ourselves to enter into relationships with other people. You know, isolation happens, depression happens. You know, we begin to um uh, uh, push people away from us, letting them into our space. You know, I remember a time in my life, it was like, you know, you just don't feel worthy of relationships as well. And so, uh, and just being aware of that. And so I had to say, wait a minute, you know, you'd say, well, I just don't have any friends, but are you pushing people away because of that? So it can just manifest in so many different ways in your life. That's so true. And right now I'm working on a book project that prayerfully will also become a movie. And my lead character is an amalgamation of all of my clients, myself, everybody. It's just kind of like this typology of all of us who feel kind of rejected, not good enough, unworthy. And so we see this adventure where many people experience, I'm attracted to this person who's emotionally unavailable and is never quite... um, turning around to give me the eye contact and the attention that I want, which for her replicates an unavailable father. Now it could be mother or father. It doesn't have to be, it just happens to be this this is the allegory we're using. And so for her to continue to go after the unavailable person and then not receive, not feel worthy enough of the one that is healthy and pursuing. So metaphorically, it represents going after the things of the world that will never satisfy. And so we keep trying to unconsciously fulfill which is called the wish fulfillment of kind of getting that person to finally want me and turn around and say, you're enough. But no matter whether they do or don't, you cannot meet an unconscious need with a conscious thing as an adult. So a dynamic today can never satisfy that 
heralding back to the beginning when you said people could say it to me consciously, but those are different operating systems. So the conscious mind can hear that all day long, but it's the unconscious mind that's still playing in the background, that resonance feeling of being unworthy. And so now the other character that's emotionally healthy, pursuing her, she feels unworthy of. And so like Christ, she's pushing him away because it feels too good to be true. So I'm suspicious. And if you like me, what's wrong with you? Because at a core belief, I think there is something wrong. So anybody who gets close enough isn't going to love me. And what do you think that might look like in many people's lives and relationships? Because you have a healthy relationship. So hopefully there's hope for people. Oh, absolutely. You know, I just have to bring it back. I mean, this might sound really practical. Um, What's helped me is just my daily time with the Lord. This just spending time in God's word has helped me get into a place in a space where I can learn to receive healthy relationships when I grew this healthy relationship with Christ. I mean, I think the foundation of it all, because I'm not the expert on, you know, how to, you know, overcome, but it's just the daily learning who I was in Christ and that I'm loved, that I'm a daughter and allowing other people to love me. I think spiritual mentoring Mm. and parenting also, uh, just those seeds, those seeds of God's word and those relationships really started helping me enter into relationships with other people and knowing what healthy looks like, because you almost have to unlearn, you know, Mm -hmm. so you can learn again. And so I just um, am so thankful for spiritual parents, you know, when I felt that orphan heart that said, I'm willing to love you through all of the mess all of your rejection, all of your insecurity, and I'm actually going to add value and, 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 and speak into that orphan heart through prophecy, the prophetic, the word of the Lord. And at the more I would hear, it would just break down, you know, the lies of the enemy in my life. And I'm just saying, no, wait, wait a minute, this is not who you are. And this is sometimes we take on identity and personalities based on that wound. And um, we, we think, oh, this is just how I am, or this is just my personality, it's not. And so I just am so thankful for the early years of people coming alongside of me, uh, several leaders, you know, just saying, we, we see who you are and calling that out. And that helped, that prepared me for marriage, that prepared me to be a mom, because yeah. I didn't grow up with those things. So I'm so thankful. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. I'm sure, but that's just, me personally, the things that the Lord did in my life. Absolutely. So let's go back and get into the weeds. So you're, you were in the system, but you were adopted. Is that right? Yeah. So I was adopted at seven and uh, my name was changed. Uh, I was, I lived in three different uh, foster homes. And then finally my name was changed to De Havilland. And when my name was changed, I was like, talk about an identity crisis because not just have being called by one name, but three different, you know, last name changes. And I remember just sitting in the court with a massive identity crisis. And when I did get saved in 1997, the Lord said to me, De Havilland, who do you think named you? He asked me a question. And that question became, that set me on a trajectory for the rest of my life. And I said, well, Lord, I had my name changed several times. So what do you mean? And he goes, I'm going to reveal to you that I'm the God who named you. Mm -hmm. And he just through a series of prophetic encounters. Um, I was in Kansas City serving at the House of Prayer movement under Mike Bickle's leadership. And I ran into a pilot and he says, I hear your name's de Havilland. He said, I need to tell you that during World War II, 
there was these de Havilland bomber planes that were built to survive World War II. And they, it's just this whole prophetic thing about the name, but they were made by, they were made out of wood and they were made by a team of carpenters. And as he's sharing this with me, the Lord is like, I'm the God who named you, Holy Spirit, bam. And it just like shifted, you know, just that, that feeling of crisis, orphan, like God named you. And I think there's something about knowing the God who named us. Yeah. It really is a game changer. So just, you know, having that encounter with the Lord and that that's my journey. So good. Okay. So my hope is to always apply it to our audience. So for people who maybe have been called literal different names, but also many times B-I-T-C-H or you're unworthy or you're in the way. So what are some ways that helped you peel off some of those false labels, false names and identities that we may have picked up along the way? Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, it says that we, God will wash us with the water of his word. You know, I would have to, in the early days of Bible school, I remember taking scriptures and pasting them on my mirror in my bathroom. And I would say, God, I need, you know, and letting the word speak to me about who I was, but also in a real practically way, letting others speak into my life, you know, having to unlearn and relearn and, um, you know, taking courses, taking classes, things, even on identity, um, you know, I was blessed to go to Mozambique and my spiritual mom's Heidi Baker, who's a radical missionary, you know, and watch her love the orphan. So I would just put myself in atmospheres mm. to, to retrain my mind. I would change even my, the scenery that I was in that would bring back certain memories or, you know, that would make me feel a certain way. Just, you know, something as practical as, you know what, I'm not going to uh, stay in this place. I'm going to go here. Mm-hmm. Like literally moving out of that space or entering into new relationships and letting that redefine me. And so I'm so thankful for those times of just having people speak into my life. That's so good. So for those who are listening, um, not everybody gets <laughs> Heidi Baker as your spiritual mom, um, but you can position yourself in healthy yes. community. Now be aware that the enemy will try to move you out of healthy Um, relationships and healthy community. And so the saboteur of kind of going back to what's familiar because familiar feels safe, because at least if I know I'm going to be treated badly, at least that's familiar. I know what to expect. I know how to arm myself and survive it. And there's a familiarity that's comfortable. And so for many who are listening, that may be really hard because you could go into community. um, And sometimes people who've come from really hard things, it feels really fake and foreign to be around like, very positive, healthy Christians. Like, it's like, is this real? Is this a scam? And one friend from a a Northern New York state was like, I think all these people are like wanting to take my bank account. Like you have to like actually retrain yourself of what's healthy, re-restore your discernment of whom to be around and whom not to, what community is safe. And then fighting through any of the obstacles, the internal angst of wanting to like fight, flight, freeze, and pull away from what's new and unfamiliar and to trust that God's leading you, even if you're getting offended at people or it feels awkward or weird, just trust the process, kind of like that caterpillar. If you'll just stay in the process, you will reemerge and there's tons of hope and there's beauty and elegance and ministry that can come on the other side of it, like the Havilland Ford. 
but there's definitely that process of kind of being squeezed in new community. What helped you stay in new community that was healthy? You know, I couldn't afford to not stay. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't afford to, um, because I knew what was at stake, mm-hmm. you know, like it going back. And it wasn't even that the community was super healthy. Mm-hmm. It was like, I was learning who I was in God. And I was ch- having to change my own atmosphere around me. Yeah. And so I, it was like a daily commitment to re-sign up again. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm in this for love. Jesus really, and it, it sounds cliche-ish, but it's like, Lord, I, you've done too much for me. You brought me way too far for me to turn around because of what even I'm sensing and feeling. Because it was hard yeah. uh, being a woman, being a preacher, being some of the things that the Lord was having me to spearhead, you know, rejection is real. You don't stop feeling that. But when your mind changes yes. and your perspective changes, then you, you, even if the situation didn't change, there was something internally shifting on the inside of me and I couldn't afford to run. And there were times I did run where I'm like, oh my God, is this for real? Like your friend, but you know, the Lord's like, I brought you too far. And so my mind shifted and, um, you know, and then I also realized in the impact I was having on other people around me. Yeah. And it was like, not just for my sake, but for theirs that were kind of coming through or walking through the stuff that I had overcome. And so um, I just, I'd have to say that the shift that happened in here made mm. me stay, you know, at the table when I wanted to retreat. And it sounds like you also were intentional to choose people to sit under, to be in relationship, to have yes. hard conversations, even times maybe conflict. I have no idea your story, but for many of us, we have to actually, I remember the time that I met this woman who did anti-human trafficking ministry. And so um, she thought that's what I was like signing up for. And this is like, you know, 20 years ago. And so I was like, well, I don't know right now if that's what I'm just learning about that, but I just, I feel the Holy Spirit on you. And I just want to be around you all the time. Can I just ask you to be a mentor in my life, even though I may not be doing human trafficking, which ironically, of course, I'm now very passionate about human trafficking. God has a sense of humor, but I was like feeling some pull. And so that can sometimes be a good sign. If you feel like there's something drawing you that may be the Lord highlighting, unless it's an unhealthy pull and it's something that's going to turn you back to your past, but having that mentor and just learning how to think different, renewing my mind, focusing on, um, just a different acculturation than I was used to and familiar with had just radically changed my life. Um, and then obviously planted seeds for anti-human trafficking. So for those out there, you want to be intentional to say, okay, Lord highlight for me, whom is going to be a good influence? Who is the person you're putting in my path? And sometimes it may not be the glamorous, famous person. It could be just, you know, the lady that cooks at her house, you know, like he knows exactly what you need and it may not be what you're looking for. It may be something that plants seeds for later, but in the moment you're like, what? That doesn't really make sense. And so just trust the process. And I love that you had said reparenting. And so that's that process. So we have new insight when people tell me or I read scripture and I go, this is who I am. This is truth. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. This is who I am. But then I actually have to experience a corrective experience. And so that's where I can't just knowledge my way through it. I have to 
actually have a relationship because relationship wounds require relationship medicine. And that's really hard for many people that I work with that are probably listening. The last thing you want to do is trust another person when you've already been rejected, unwanted by those who should have been safe. And so it's hard to lean into healthy relationship when all of your fire alarms on the inside are going unsafe, get out, get out, keep it superficial, keep it shallow, don't go deep, don't really allow for real intimacy and connection. What do you think might be for our listeners, some things that would help them overcome that fire alarm? And I know you said there was a lot of buy-in of like, I don't have anywhere else to go, which sounds like the disciples, like where else are we gonna go, <laughs> you know? Uh, what do you think might be some helpful keys that they can keep in mind to, to lean into that corrective experience of relationship? Well, I think to realizing that there's no perfect relationship, mm -hmm. you know, there's no perfect relationship and, you know, look, let the good outweigh the bad, you know, when you see, okay, they, maybe someone, you know, your mentor may have messed up once or, mm -hmm. but think about the positive side of it. And so, you know, just, just being intentional, you know, and giving grace, grace is so important, you know, and realizing that we're all on this journey. And there would be times where my spiritual mom would do something that I'm like, not just the one that was known, but the ones, like you said, it could be the clerk at the grocery store, you know, just realizing they're on their journey too, exactly. you know, and they have the best interest at heart for me. Exactly. And so uh, just, just, just even just saying those things to yourself and letting the good outweigh the bad, you know, not fight or flight or fleeing when it's uncomfortable and having those conversations, even mm -hmm. if you need to talk it out, you know, and ask the questions like, you know, if you're feeling that, if you're feeling that alarm or you want to run, say that, you know, have that conversation, call the people around you. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable and be authentic and share your heart of what you're actually experiencing. The, the enemy, one thing he loves is for us to, you know, to isolate and keep it to ourselves. Yep. But I think when we speak our, when we, you know, when we have those conversations, it exposes, and then you can just say, oh, why did I even think that way? Or why am I feeling, this is why I'm feeling this way. Yeah. And so, um, you know, um, and, and sometimes it's ugly, it's messy, it's not always pretty, but in the end, I think you'll, you'll be better for it. That's so good. I love it. So even just talking yourself through it, which is another form of reparenting. So what children need is somebody to sit down and say, Hey, Johnny, what are you feeling? Maybe you're feeling sad. Maybe you're feeling scared or overwhelmed. That's okay. And when the parent says that or caregiver, now I'm giving language to a felt sense that I don't have a cognition for. So now you have two different systems that are starting to make connections and you have a neural wiring. The issue is for many of us, uh, we have people that are great. They may be fine people, but they didn't necessarily know how, or they didn't have the time or the energy or capacity, whatever the scenario is to say, Hey, Sally, what are you feeling? What's your heart? It's okay to feel like that. That's a normal experience. Um, let's talk through it. And this is what we do with that. If I don't have that, then it's really easy for automaticity. So the amygdala is the fire alarm on the inside that goes fight, fight, freeze, ah, run away, danger. I think of it like Amy, that's how I remember it, like a teenage girl that's like, ah, I'm out. And so that part of the brain will, will trip, right? Like hijacking system. And so it'll cause us to flee relationships or say really crazy things that we don't mean or text really crazy text messages that you're like, oh my gosh, that was really, I regret it later when my brain came back online. 
but it's so common because we don't have this internal experience of knowing how to talk ourselves through it. And so the very deliberate part of what De Havilland is sharing with us is, hey, I'm feeling scared. Okay, what am I feeling scared about? And talk to the person. Use your words rather than just ghosting or just being passive aggressive, showing up that got like a chip on your shoulder, which then is kind of creating a self-fulfilling prophecy where you're unconsciously feeling safe, you're pushing them away, and eventually you push hard enough, people will leave. And so then it confirms my bias that, yes, yeah, see, everyone leaves me, see? And I don't take into account maybe my role in that dynamic that I am uh, continuing to reenact in each of my relationships. So I love what you're sharing about, I've got to talk myself through it, and I've got to give grace. You know, self-confirming bias um, is always going to say, well, of course I'm late because I had all these things, but if you're late, it's because you're disrespecting me. You don't care about me. You don't love me. You're using me. Right. And so when we are wired toward egocentric view, me included, all of us humans, um, we're naturally going to default that my mentor or my person that I'm, you know, connecting with or spouse, that they're doing that because something nefarious while well, I'll give myself more grace. So I'm hearing you say you have to be really intentional to offer grace to the other person and say, you know, their name is not Jesus. They're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And there's mentors in my life. I've absolutely disappointed because we're all just kind of doing our best. But I think what you've described is that the heart of the person is good. They're just kind of messing up on the day to day, but their heart and the goodness of their heart. So what was that journey like for you of starting to believe that you're worthy? What are practical things that people can do to help when they feel kind of not worthy? For me, this is going to probably sound really funny. Um, I would, you know, it's, they say there's an, there's a out how you outward expression to an inward change. Mm -hmm. And so I would just, even just outwardly, there were things that I would start doing, like even just putting makeup on or getting, you know, uh, investing in my health, making small changes daily, you yeah. know, to say, you know what, to have on your worthy, because when I was feeling all that rejection, it was showing on my out on the X, you know, I, you could tell just how it dress or, you know, little things like that. I said, you know what, I need to invest in me and start to not just see the what was happening on the inside, but also the outward change. I would take time for myself. I started to love myself and treat myself with kindness, you know, um, and just put add value to my life. I would invest books. I would invest in things that would help grow to have them forward, that would grow, mm -hmm. you know, into the woman the Lord had called has, is calling me, still calling me to be. Yeah. And so I'm um, just practical little things, you know, um, that before I didn't do, it was like, oh, I'm not worthy of that, you know? And so the Lord just had me step-by-step, step, you know, um, make these small little changes, even investing in my health journey. Yeah. Um, I know people don't think that matters, but it does matter because it impacts your whole life, you know? That's so good. So for many people, um, especially what comes to mind is like moms, right? So you're giving, you're pouring out, you're taking care of everybody else, maybe not taking the time to prioritize, put the oxygen on your own face. Some of that, not always, but some could be a feeling of unworthiness of everybody else comes ahead of me. And you may be reenacting a dynamic where from childhood, it just felt like everybody else kind of came ahead of you and you're just kind of there and you're not supposed to have too much need 
lead. You're kind of just be under the radar. Don't cause problems. And you may accidentally still be doing that in your day-to-day life. And de Havilland is saying, hey, no, no, no. You get to set your new tone. You get to prioritize taking care of you, not to the other pendulum that you're, you know, not taking care of your kids or whatever the scenario might be, but that healthy middle place of saying, you know, my nutrition, my exercise, my relationships, my quiet time with the Lord, going to conferences, reading books, renewing my mind. So are there any last words that you would give to our audience to just say, Hey, I want you to walk out of an orphan spirit and into uh, an identity of adoption and being known and cared about. There's such a place at the table for you. Mm. You know, there is such a place at the table. If Jesus shed his blood, right? If Jesus shed his blood and he says that you're worth, right? You're worth his death on the cross. You know, you are worth and your value is not determined of your circumstance, your situation, whether you had parents, whether you don't have parents, your value is in the blood. And so I just would encourage you uh, daily, begin to begin to ask God to shift your mindset about yourself, you know, starting in that place with his word in front of you and also the people in your life, you know, asking him, Lord, who are the ones that you're going to use to invest in this season, you know, speaking into your identity and also find someone else to speak into. I know it's hard when we're like, well, I'm going through my own stuff. How can I encourage someone else? But I found in my own life, when I, it was at my weakest moments, right. That God would use me to encourage another person. And so you, there is such a place at the table for you and it is found in his word, but it's also found in relationship and you don't have to stay there. You are so loved. And I would just encourage you every day to just sow into yourself. So a seed, so word, so time, so energy. It can be five minutes, you know, and uh, you, you're going to grow into all that the Lord's called you to be. Ah, I love it. There is hope. Keep going. Um, and to have one in myself, people who've had a lot of rejection wounds early in life, it can stunt our personality, stunt our ministry and vocation, whatever our calling is. But there are practical things you can do. So if you subscribe to our newsletter, we have a bonus video for you. And I'm going to walk you through uh, some exercises I found incredibly helpful in restoring self cohesion to help get those unconscious parts of you at the table into conscious awareness and now you can start relabeling re-identifying and take the root issue so you're not constantly whack-a-moling these persistent feelings i want to honor you and thank you so much for being with us today de Havilland, and hopefully we'll have you many more times in the future oh it's such an honor thank you so much dr shannon it's just such a joy to finally meet you after all this time i know i'm so grateful hopefully we'll do a spa day soon (laughs) oh i would love that we love you guys and we'll see you for the next episode